cliffcentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And he is back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm back, I'm back. Although you listen, no uh, no shame on that show. That that went really well. Well, thank so, you. So, I mean, without me. I you know, I just, just, I'm enough. just completely dispensable. Get used <laughs> to it, my head. son. Get used to it. You need, you need for life. a week and then it's a shit show out here. What have you done? <laughs> well, um, I, clearly not enough because... Now we have a guaranteed dictator till 2019, although I'm not surprised about that. Well, he's been dictator for many, many years. I don't know why this changes anything. Uh, I'm just glad Malusi's got a baptism of fire. He's getting shat on from all over the place. It's wonderful. I'm actually, for the first time, legitimately scared of the police, though. With Fakile in charge, I mean, I, I think you now have a fair reason to be afraid of the police. Well, he was, I mean, he did say that we must be merciless against criminals and we'll worry about human rights later. Jesus. <laughs> ah, just fantastic. Tell him to spell Ab- human rights first. Absolutely, and then we'll absolutely fantastic. Well, of course, all of this is not due to the Guptas and not due to President Zuma. It is the fault of white mon- monopoly capital. As yes, we indeed. Know. Very and much so. All of those supporting white monopoly capital and, uh, to this end, of course, we have one of the white monopoly capitalists. Well, um, the, the greatest purveyors yeah. of white monopoly capital. I don't know if they themselves are, yeah. well, are well, white monopoly capital, but purveyors they are, yes. <laughs> so I'm going to introduce our guest, and I, I, I am almost positive I'm going to cock this up. So to the Afrikaans listeners, I apologize. All three of you. Um, Lekas and Engelsman. Um, so our guest today is Ernst Rutz. How good was that? It was very good, actually. Okay. And it's a 9 out of 10. It's a 9 out of 10. And um, he is, uh, if you aren't aware, the deputy CEO of AfriForum and also comes from a legal background. He's a lawyer by training, as I understand. Yes. And welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be on the show. I've been following you guys on Twitter and I've been listening to the show, so it's really a privilege to be here. You Thank follow you us much. on Twitter and you still decided to come on. <laughs> Do you have a reputation to salvage, sir? <laughs> well, that's why I decided to come on the show, but uh, I've been on quite a variety of strange yeah. shows. Well, you have, been, you have been quite popular in the media. Um, so tell us, because I'm not sure I'm, I'm even sort of settled on what AfriForum does. Mm. So what is the goal of the of the organization? What does it do on a day-to-day basis? What's your job? Well, AfriForum is a, a – it's, firstly, it's a civil rights organization, and we are built very much on the philosophy that for a democracy, the, the question on whether a democracy is in fact a democracy is not do we have one man, one vote, or do the majority run the country, because that's majoritarianism. Um, what makes democracy – different from majoritarianism is that democracy is about protection. It's about um, especially minority rights. So what we say is that the question, if you want to know if a democracy is a properly proper functioning democracy, you must ask the question if minorities also are protected in the process. And so AfriForum is a civil rights organization, but we place particular emphasis on minority rights and our um, language of operation is Afrikaans, although most of the activities that we have, all our press statements are uh, in Afrikaans and English, so mm. uh, at, you know, at the office we speak Afrikaans with each other, but basically everything we do in terms of online will be in both languages. So, so when you talk about minority rights, are you specifically referring to Afrikaans people or Afrikaans speaking people? Uh, among others, we, I mean, we won't shy away from that. We do have a focus on Afrikaners, but but it's more from a principled background. Um, so. When we say minority rights, we talk about the principle of minority rights, right. uh, but there is a particular focus. Um, that's definitely the case. So, I mean, what do you do? I mean, I know you go to court very often, and for personally, sometimes for like frivolous reasons, in my mm. opinion, uh, <laughs> about like street names and, and like you yeah. know, shit like that. I mean, that's cool. It's your money. Do what you want. But uh, day-to-day operations, what do you do to ensure minority rights are protected? Yeah. Well, we do a lot of things. Broadly, we are based on what we call a double strategy. So we would say that um, there are certain realities in South Africa, political realities, that we try to influence. Um, so we'll do that through campaigns and and through uh, litigation. Uh, it varies. Um, 
last time, about a month or two ago, I was at um, uh, one of our attorneys and I asked them how many court cases are AFRI Forum involved with at this moment. And he said more or less 100. Um, so some, the previous time I was there, the answer was 60. So, and that doesn't mean that we're in a different, a hundred different courts in one day. You know, a court case obviously takes mm. the process. But so that's the one side of the strategy. And the other side is to create alternative realities. Um, so we've been accused of trying to develop a parallel state, but it's not really that. But, uh, what we mean by that is, is, Instead of trying to make the system work, we feel that we need to get, get people to be more independent and more self-reliant through their own institutions. Whether, and I think maybe a good example is something like Cliff Central. It's not dependent on uh, what's happening in the mainstream media. You can decide what you want to put on the show. So we would support that type of thing. So we're involved with, let's say, Marula Media, for example. And we're involved with some media institutions. We're involved with... Um, a variety of different projects where the aim is academia is another example, the the Afrikaans, the private university, which is to say that on the one hand, the first leg of the strategy, an example would be we would be involved with uh, the battles regarding the language policy at the University of Pretoria, but at the same time, we're busy building our own private university. So before we get on to those specifics, um, I imagine a lot of the sort of kickback you get is, well, yeah, Afrikaners would now be in the minority, but you know they mm. ran the show for forty years, yeah. uh, and of course we've got the uh, revisionist history, which says they ran it for four hundred years, um, because people. No, no, two thousand years is actually what the ANC said in Parliament. Oh, really? Is that decolonized <laughs> history? Well, I mean, decolonized history. We we're not really sure. They have no books, mm. um, but so they'll say, look, you you guys at minimum had control mm. for forty years. Uh, yeah, you're a minority now, but why should your rights matter now because your rights were graded? Is yeah. that something that comes across yes. often, and, and how do you rebut that? Yeah, well, it's actually an easy answer, but we, the argument is that Afrikaners or white people mm. um, are, as I say, economically dominant, and mm. therefore that doesn't qualify us to be a minority. So we can't scream about minority rights if we are economically running the country. Like a privilege that's argument. The, yeah, that's the accusation. And, and I don't know if they know that but why they say that is it this whole idea about economically dominant minorities actually came from a uh, the definition of minorities there are, there are about a thousand different definitions of what constitutes a minority and i don't want to get into the detail too much but just quickly um, the one that's quoted most often was was developed by a man named francesco caputorti who was working with the united nations and he said that economic uh, minorities must be a, a numerically inferior and they must be in a non-dominant position. So that was interpreted as if you are like white people in South Africa in a so-called dominant position, you are not a minority, so you can't claim minority rights. And people have been saying that in different countries across the world, but it's actually been rebutted by the United Nations in several documents recently coming out that that was not the way to interpret this. And then they went further saying that so-called economic economically dominant minorities are exactly the ones that need to be protected because those are the ones that are more vulnerable. And if you look at the last century, uh, the genocides that have occurred across the world, almost all of them were against minority communities who were in general better off than the majority. Uh, yeah. Think about the Jews in Germany, uh, the Tutsis in Rwanda, the, mm. the average Tutsi, Tutsi was richer than the average Hutu, which was one of the things that created this animosity. Um, uh, the Armenians, we can go look, go through the list. So the point is, the fact that white people, because this is the argument, if you are born into a white family, your chance of being rich is bigger than if you are born into a black family. But because of that fact, combined with the fact that white people are a minority, um, that means precisely that they would need protection as a minority community. Mm. What do you? Why do you suppose it is that, given that we're commonly told South Africa has the best constitution in the world, why mm. is it that we even have the situation where we're found needing to protect, specifically protect rights mm. of the minority? Why are the minority even under threat? What is? Mm. Well, we don't have the, the situation? best constitution in the world. Uh, our constitution Ooh, is very that's for me that's for me good job well, our, our constitution is actually uh, very shortcoming the reason why people say we have the best constitution in the world is because we have a bunch of rights in there that is not um, sustainable it's not enforceable mm. uh, and the main reason is we have what they call it's a great Pepsi ad 
Yeah, they, they have what, what we call second and third generation rights. So in South Africa, you even have a right to a healthy environment. Uh, and it sounds amazing, but how on earth do you enforce a right to live in a healthy environment? Um, and there's a lot of uh, pitfalls in, in South Africa's constitution. Mm. One of them is the immense amount of power that it gives to the state president, as we have seen very recently. Yeah. Um, another one is… Well, because when you were setting that up and you're thinking the state president's going to be Nelson Mandela, you're going, well… Cool, that's give him as much power said. as you as you like. That's actually what was said during the negotiations by the National Party. Some people were saying, well, you're giving too much power to the government. And then I think it was F.W. de Klerk or it was Ruth Mayer. One of the two said, well, don't worry because Mandela is going to be the president and he's going to be responsible, hmm. uh, which is a very short-sighted argument. So so the fact – firstly, it gives too much powers to the president. Secondly, the, the, the constitution doesn't acknowledge the fact that we have such a diverse country and there's no recognition of the fact that people – are organized in terms of communities. So we can talk about group rights and individual rights. Um, that's another reason. The third reason is that these so-called, uh, what do they call it, um, uh, checks and balances that are there to protect democracy are simply overrun by the fact that the president appoints who's running them. So we have the Human yeah. Rights Commission and we have the public protector, and people say, well, look at the public protector. The mm-hmm. constitution is working. But that was a mistake there. An anomaly. Yeah, that, and they will make sure not to repeat that mistake yeah, again. Yeah, the Chief Justice is the same thing, right? Mohoing, Mohoing. I mean, I wasn't a fan at the beginning, and mm. I'm a bit of a fan now, much too. Well, I mean, I'm willing to admit I was wrong. Yeah, I was wrong too. No, but you were right. What do you mean? <laughs> On Mohoing, Mohoing. Yeah, the difference is, well, that's another point, and I'll, I'll get to the answer. Um, the, the other thing is there's a lot of things in the Constitution that are very vague. And so what happens is... I can read the property clause, uh, which says that property shouldn't be expropriated unless it's in the public interest. And my definition of public interest is they're building a massive highway that would create 100,000 jobs or there's a war and they need to establish a military base. But ask Julius Malema what's the definition of public interest for expropriating property. And he would, gi- he would say it's in the public interest to take white people's land. But the difference is people say also, look, the constitution is working because look at the Nkandla judgment, how you know they came out against what Zuma was doing. But there's a difference. You need to, to differentiate between these judgments. Are they based on procedural or administrative issues or are they based on ideological issues? So if it's on procedural matters where a procedure wasn't followed uh, as was uh, as happened with Nkandla. They would easily say, "No, you didn't follow the procedure," and you know there was there's this big statement that's being made. But um, if it's on, for example, the Renata Barnard case, which was about affirmative action, then we would find every time the Constitutional Court would interpret the Constitution in a way that su- that suits the narrative of of the ANC of the ruling party. So ideologically, the Constitutional Court is aligned because it's part of the ruling elite. I'm not saying that mm. it's, you know, in the bag or the back pocket of the NC, yeah. but the, the, the they, still, they still make judgments within the framework, exactly. but the framework is left the, tilted. The judiciary, uh, yeah, the judicial authority and the executive authority are part of one ruling elite in this country. Mm. And you see that in the way they interpret, for, uh, transformation isn't even mentioned in the constitution. The idea of representativity is only in the constitution with regard to the judiciary and the public sector. But, because the ANC says uh, they interpret the equality clause, the equality clause, as that every single sphere of society must represent the demographics of the country, and the constitutional court then says, "Well, we agree." So I think they, you must differentiate. As I said, if it's an administrative issue, you will find that they would make have judgments against the ANC or against the president. But if it's on ideological reasons, they would entrench what the ANC is saying. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting just on you making those points. I, I'm constantly reminded to try and check myself for what is actually good versus what is bad because it's difficult to recognize in South mm. Africa. So, you know, if we get rid of Jacob Zuma now, everyone goes, yay, Cyril Ramaphosa, you know, yeah. or, 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 um, what's that sewer mouth, uh, uh, Jackson Mtembu or mm. one of these guys, you know, everyone's <laughs> going to celebrate that we get one of these other guys, yeah. um, where the reality is, is that we're so far below even mediocrity. Mm. Um, even if we get the DA, it's not going to solve. Oh, I, I, so on your page, especially yeah. with their latest. Uh, we, we need Julius for a real show. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Oh, but, but no, the DA is the, the DA is, is appalling. With, well, with regards to everything, everything. <laughs> All they can do is like issue traffic fines but, properly. But the point is this: the the reason why, well, we always say the problem is not 
the president. It's not even the ruling party. The problem is the regime or the way the system is put the together. System. Yeah, exactly. Because democracy is obviously, I think Churchill had that quote saying that yeah. democracy is the worst system, but it's better than all the others that we have tried or yeah. something like that. Um, but the problem, well, democracy works if it's a rich country, if people are generally well off. But democracy is a system of supply and demand. So you need a, a demand. People, the voters must say, we want a, a responsible government. And then there must have a, be a political party saying, well, we're going to be that responsible government. Please vote for us. But in a country like South Africa where you have massive unemployment and poverty, people would rather vote for he, whoever gives them social grants. And we've seen that in the last municipal elections where the, the DA had these flyers saying the ANC only spent 128 billion rand on social grants but if you vote for us we're going to outspend them yeah so yeah. so there's a there's a demand for a bad government and there's a supply of a bad government so but, whoever out promises the other one wins but right? and, and i mean sorry to yeah. interject but, yeah. but i mean unfortunately that that's that's a quirk of history i'm afraid we've had okay is it 400 years 2000 years or 40 years who knows but we've had years and years and years of just pure statism where the state took yeah. care of those that it took care of mm. and neglected the other ones, but it still not guided them, it forced them to, mm. to adopt certain practices. So, I mean, we don't have a, a culture of freedom in this country yeah, so at all. That's an excellent point. I mean, I recently heard similar point made, which was you can have democracy all you like, but if you don't have a culture of liberty, then it doesn't really matter. All you're doing is changing your votes for the next dictator. Mm. So, just because you can vote doesn't give you freedom, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, perhaps that's part of part of the issue. Yeah, well, that's called. Um, I think Karl Popper said it first. It's called the democratic paradox, um, and what it essentially means is uh, people get voted in through democratic processes, and they use the power that is given to them by democratic means to do undemocratic things. Right. And I mean, we've seen it in Zimbabwe, and we see it to a lesser extent also in Zimbabwe, uh, in South Africa. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, it's hard to differentiate yeah. now. <laughs> well, it's easy. To, well, Zuma is he's a bit younger than Mugabe. That's one way to differentiate. So we've got at least thirty years of him then, <laughs> if we go according to that. Yeah, according to that logic, it just proves there is no God if he does live that long. <laughs> uh, marvelous. All right. So tell us. You mentioned some of the projects that uh, Afriforum is 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 busy with. Which are which are the ones you well, really I, like? Well, I mean. I'm personally involved with Afriforum's campaigns on racism and race relations um, and farm murders or farm killings um, and so some of the more economic uh, issues and uh, in terms of uh, you know commentary on the law, constitutional law, minority let's, rights. Let's talk about all of those things actually because I actually wanted to talk about Farm murders, uh, mm. but, but race and race relations. So, we follow the Institute of Race Relations. We we quite friendly with them. They they say it's not a big deal, according to the surveys they publish. Mm. It's not a massive deal. People don't give a shit what race you are, as long they're more worried about jobs or mm. economic issues or schooling or mm. things like that. Uh, the lefties, everything's about fucking race. If you don't, if you can't pronounce someone's name properly, boom, race, mm. right? Uh, so, I mean, what is AfriForum or your personal view? On, on race and race relations. Well, it's actually not only the Institute of Race Relations that says that. Um, I recently re- read a report by the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation, which is, uh, I think the president is Desmond Tutu. And there was another report by an organization called Plus94, and they described themselves as a progressive research think tank. All right. And both of them also found that the majority of people say they've never personally experienced racism. So that then excludes hearing someone saying racist stuff on t- on TV or someone saying it on Twitter, but someone personally to you. Right. And I think the plus 94, no, no, it was the, Justice for, uh, the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation found that 27% of people say that they've experienced discrimination in their lives, which is a lot, but it's less than a third still. So the point is that I think um, we've had these extremists Hijack the debate to a large degree. Yeah, and we know that. I mean, the ANC war room was, was specifically designed to spread racial disharmony. Yeah, uh, for quite a few million rand, by the way. Yeah, and, and it, it failed spectacularly. Exactly. But no, the, so but that is left. the point, and I think these people, I think the majority of people are very irritated by the debate. And so, so tell me, why do the left not want to understand that race is not a problem? Because it means 
that's a fucking positive thing if race is well, not a huge issue, isn't let, it? Let me give you an example. Uh, or let me answer by giving you an example. I was I just came back from the United States. We had a, um, a tour there to promote a documentary film that we made. And I had dinner one evening with two professors from a university, and they were both black. And so I asked them about race relations in the United States. And they immediately started talking about the Ku Klux Klan and about all these horrible things and how the Ku Klux Klan are sort of still running the country and everything. And I asked them, but, okay, and that was about in half an hour um, answering that question. So I asked mm. them, okay, so what's the solution? And then they said, well, the problem is, da, 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 and they went on. And we find that in South Africa as well. People would talk yeah. about how race is the problem, and you ask, okay, so what do we do now? And then they would say, what we need to do now is, but let me first talk about the problem. And then, then they never get to the problem. So I think they, they pretend as if race is this big problem because it's a convenient excuse. Um, let's take someone like… Um, you see this Makosa, come on. Let's just yeah, but it. he doesn't have a constituency. Someone like oh, Adile right. Nitama. He has a constituency. I don't know how much. I think he has. Yeah, I don't no, know. Those how are like four people who drink at the Saxon World Tribune. Yeah. I mean, it's. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to be honest. But, but he, for him to blame everything on white people is very convenient because if he was, a, if he had a more balanced approach, he would have to say to his own followers, you know what? Part of the solution is you would have to go to school and not bunk school and not throw b- bricks through the window, and you would have to make sure that you get a proper education and proper training to qualify you to really participate in the labor market. Or even better, you could criticize the ANC and their pathetic basic education system. Yes. And we could try and prove that. So exactly. people who do go to school actually get a real one. So that's that's exactly the point. These people, these race merchants who, who keep talking about Ooh, that's how… That's a good one. We should use that. Yeah. I wish I could say Stolen. I made that up. <laughs> it was actually Dinesh D'Souza, I think. Ah, uh, who great made man. That one but so, so um, these people who co- continuously talk about race, how race is to blame for everything, that's I've, I've found that if you ask them about what's wrong with the education system, they don't want to talk about education. They don't want to talk about the fact that according to – I think it was the World Development Bank that found that 80% of the schools in this country are dysfunctional, and it's especially the black schools. And the fact that there's a huge difference between the hours that teachers spend in class. In the so-called white schools that are attended mostly by white people, it's about seven hours per day. And in the in schools that are mostly attended by black children, it's on average 3.5, three and a half hours that, a day. That's teacher attendance. That's teacher attendance. And, and teacher absenteeism, all of these things, and mm. textbooks not delivered – these people who, come, who talk about race all the time, if you start talking about education, they just shut down. They don't want to talk about but, it. But, okay, but I mean, back to my original point. So are you saying people are using race as a means? Like Eusebius, I don't think he particularly like the ANC. Mm. He doesn't like the DA, but he uses race all the damn time to yeah. sell books, I assume. And yeah. even then, he's not really selling any of them very well. <laughs> and his radio show is failing, and he was kicked off ENCA. So I don't know why we're even talking about this guy, because he's a failure in every single way. But he, he's the purveyor of like racial disharmony. Yes. I actually read his books. Um, I'm sorry to hear. But, <laughs> I hope you didn't buy but them. But what, 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 uh, what, what Dinesh D'Souza says ex- on this issue about how he, defi- how he defines a race merchant is he says it's someone who has an incentive – to, to convince us all that racism is the biggest problem. Because if you can convince everyone that racism is the biggest problem, you will get people to buy your books. Um, so that's, that's sort of the definition of a race merchant. And, and the, having read Eusebius' book, I actually um, wrote at the, beginning of the, at the beginning of the book some questions that I had that I was wondering if he would answer them. Um, and I think there were like 10 questions, and he really didn't respond to one of them. Obviously, he didn't know what my questions were, but none of them were addressed. Yeah, in the, the book. book didn't address. Yeah. Them. So right. the point, one of them was: the, was is he going to be? Is he going to base his arguments on research, or is it on individual examples? And if you count them up, there's probably like 10 individual examples of white people saying racist stuff towards black people. And he writes an entire book of how the whole country is racist. He doesn't explain what institutionalized racism is. Everyone talks about it. No one has a clue what it means other than all white people are racist. But, and then and the, he, he and even the system has a chapter, is designed by white people yeah, and therefore racist. And he even has a chapter sort of trying to, to argue that um, – he talks about, I think he calls it racist receipts. So if you accuse someone of being a racist, then the onus of proof is on that person to prove that he's not a racist. So you can accuse people of being racist without having to prove that they are racist and based on your suspicion. And the argument then is they would have to prove that, that they are not racist. And this guy calls himself a fucking philosopher. 
That's a shock. That's a fucking outrage. <laughs> Outrageous. Well, well, he starts his book by saying that he wants to be, he wants his writing to be judged by high standards and and so forth. So well, maybe that's so why no one's buying it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. I mean, is we, that your race question answered? Yeah. We, no, there is no answer. They do it. There is no racism, and whatever racism it's there is, is is whatever racism there really is, it's fairly benign. Um, I mean, the, the biggest case last year was okay, not last year. It was was the, the the case with the coffin? Okay, well, first of all, Penny Sparrow, which mm. was, I mean, come on, oh, come on, words on the screen to cause outcry. That, yeah, and, and it's this unknown person. No one ever heard about that, it. That wasn't manufactured at all. And then the, the coffin case, mm. right, where these two guys put this black guy in a coffin to mm. scare him or something. I saw a video on Twitter last week about a, a, a so-called. Um, Suspected criminal being buried alive by black villagers mm. in, uh, I think it was in the Free State. Uh, yeah. Bushbuck Ridge. Bushbuck Bush, Ridge. Bush Ridge. Mm. Yeah. Not one word. Yeah. Not one word anywhere. So it's not even the act. It's mm. just who has made the crime, uh, what, what is their identity, and then we'll see if it's important to us. If, mm. the, if, there's a, uh, if the race differs, boom. Right. Yeah. We, we there. Well, the well, it's like Lulu Zinguana when she was minister of women and children and people with disabilities. Everyone she was minister men. of, yeah, everyone except men. <laughs> um, and she went on ABC, the Australian international TV, and she said, the problem with these Afrikaners in South Africa is that they have this religion according to which they believe that they can murder their wives when they wish to, when they want to. Jeez. So she said that on international TV and I think she apologized, but I mean, imagine now, imagine for a moment if some unknown white person who no one has ever heard of said something as atrocious like that, yeah. as that about black people having some sort of a culture of violence and they kill whoever they want to. I mean, that would be the biggest story, but, and this person is a minister. It's not someone, some random person. It's a very influential person. Yeah. I mean, but the double standards are, are, are there's so many. But, be all, all but, but let's get on, day. let's get on to that. So there is, so we had Steve on the show, Hoffman. Mm. Um, and it was a very interesting discussion. We didn't agree on it, everything. That's fine. As you know, if you've listened to the yeah, show, you made us um, sound like social justice warriors, um, but, but, but the, the reality is we're more than happy to disagree with people and then mm. move on with our lives and people can make decisions. The, he's very much on the side that there's some sort of genocide going mm. on, um, with regards to farm murders. Um, we're not convinced of, the term genocide and that there's a specific genocide going on. But where, where do you guys stand on the farm murder stuff? You said you're involved with it. Um, yeah. And are you asking if we believe it's genocide? Well, I go into where you stand on whether it's genocide, whether yeah. it's just high crime well, that's not well policed, uh, and w what you guys are involved in. in that well, regard. I think it's many of these farm attacks we believe are hate crimes. Um, not all of them. We're not really involved with the genocide debate. Uh, I don't believe it complies with the definition of genocide, even if, uh, if only for technical reasons, because genocide is about, uh, is, has to be directed against one of, Targeting. I think, four, yeah, it has to be about a, I think it's religion, uh, ethnicity, nationality, or culture, or something. And farmers are an, it's an occupation. So there's no such thing as genocide against a occupation. So you, if you want to say farm murders is genocide, you have to say it's genocide against white people. And I don't think – look, crime in this country is horrible, but I don't think the – and it's very atrocious. But, but I don't think we've reached the point where you can argue that it, that it complies with the definition of genocide. And I think that the debate about genocide is misdirected because mm. somehow proving that it's not genocide leads to this conclusion that, okay, well, it's not a problem. So if yeah. something is not yeah. genocide, we don't need to worry about it. So I don't think we should – talk about whether it's genocide or not because I don't think it is genocide mm. but that doesn't mean that it's not an atrocious sure. problem and it's not something that has to be addressed. and trying to convince people that it's genocide might also take uh, focus off doing something about yeah. the issue instead of arguing about whether it's some sort of you know United Nations yeah. uh, hate crime I can give an example um, I actually met with a professor from uh, who's in Washington and she's an advisor to the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Genocide. And I met her in Kenya at a conference, a United Nations conference on hate speech. And we had lunch. Um, and so I, we spoke about farm murders. And that was actually, there wasn't that, at that time when Malema, we had that shoot the Boer court case against Malema. And she was pretty informed about South Africa. And she actually warned me about the way some people are dealing 
with farm murders or trying to raise the issue. And what she said was that they know about this problem and they find that people send them all these faxes and emails and they have all these horrible pictures and um, they would investigate and they would find that this picture that says this was a farm murder, look how this person was mm. tortured, and then it was some some guy in Syria somewhere. They have just this body of a guy that's uh, – yeah. and, and it happened recently on Twitter and uh, some people were very angry with me. There was a guy who tweeted a picture saying, look at this horrible farm murder. But that was actually a, a, a picture of Sharon Tate who was murdered by Charles Manson. And uh, it's a very well-known photo. Yeah, Polanski's wife. In yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Roman Polanski's wife. Yeah, yeah, she got murdered in the 60s. Yes, exactly. And okay, so, so, so use someone that photo. tweeted saying, look at this horrible yeah. farm murder. Oh, right. And if you do that, you, you only it's, it's really something that's worth campaigning against. And it's yeah. really something you that's worth… You delegitimize your cause. Yeah, but you're legitimizing or illegitimizing the cause by saying that that it's genocide because then you have to prove that it's genocide. Or… To say that if you send out all these horrible pictures, regardless of whether you know if it's true or not. And yeah. also, I think it's, it's unsensitive, unsensitive. We've had people call our office saying, there's this guy publishing pictures. It was actually a lady. There's this guy publishing pictures of my dad who was killed on a farm, and it was an actual picture. And he was, well, his head was splashed open and everything. And she, she tried to convince him to stop posting these pictures. And, but every time she opens Facebook, she sees these pictures mm-hmm. of her father's dead body. Yeah. So we believe that a shock tactic in this case, it's better to be more conservative in your arguments and to be academically accurate and not so much to try to shock people with pictures and, and so forth. Right. Rather, We would rather use a picture of the farmer before he was killed, a picture of him with his family and say this is the guy sure. who was killed on this date. I mean, so so that, that's, that's the method of, of trying to 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 uh, get the message out but why do you say it's it's a hate crime well why, why do you think some it's of a hate it, crime? we've we've had for example if, look the first thing about farm murders is it's a very complex phenomenon we've had yeah. uh we have about the names of about 1900 people who've been killed on farms since 1990 and it's very dangerous to generalize so some people say farm murders are racially motivated and some say farm murders are not racially motivated but it's not one of the two some of them aren't some of them aren't sure and we've had this guy for an example is uh, there was a guy called Ntutuko Chwene and he killed a farmer uh, he mur- murdered a farmer in the free state and he testified in court that under oath he testified that the reason why he killed this farmer was not because he had anything against him but because he was influenced by Peter Mukaba singing of "Kill the Boer, Kill the Farmer," and he was singing this song, and he got in, he got you know enticed, and then this guy—that's what he said. He said he was just a white farmer at the wrong place at the wrong time, and so he went and he killed him. Um, so that happens, and we've had cases of people farmers being attacked, and as the attackers you know charged them, they would scream things like "Viva Malema" or uh, "Fuck white people" or these type of things. So. So there are clearly cases we and oh and then also talking about the torture the levels of torture we've had recently there was yeah. a case of a lady who was tortured for six hours this year yeah. uh, with an electric drill yeah and they had drilled holes through her feet and and so forth so if so that's why I say some of them seems to us to be to be hate crimes but once again saying something is a hate crime you would need to prove that it's a hate right. crime right I mean because yeah the big problem is if if you had to economically think about Farms. It makes. Uh, I hate to, I'm trying to be this, a polite spot. It makes sense to target a farm because mm-hmm. that person would be, well, one would think would be the richest person in that specific, specific mm-hmm. area. Yeah. Economically, it makes sense to attack a farm. Of course, I'm not saying attack a bloody farm, but economically, <laughs> yeah, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. But if you want to steal a laptop or cash, but you have to drill someone's foot. Or, or, or shove a samurai sword down his throat for six hours. Yeah, that is not that doesn't fit. Yeah, economics. Yeah, to me. I mean, we've had. I can give you so many examples. We've had one lady who was um, tied. I think she was undressed, and she was tied to the shower. Um, and then they started. Um, they had like a rope with pieces of wire or something on, and they 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 were hitting her with this rope. And then they went, and they got uh, a a a whatever they call it, an urn or something that had the ashes of her husband. Her, her husband was killed, so she was alone in the house. And they went and they took it, so they knew where it was. They took it and they threw the ashes over her as they were torturing her. And they said, we know there's no one here to save you. Um, so, And then they, they ran away with a thousand rand or something. And so according to the police records, they went there with the intention to steal. And right. that's why people say, no, farm murders are just robbery. 
Yes, it's robbery, but it's also something else. Yeah, that, that, there's other stuff that goes on that just doesn't fit yeah. the modus operandi of a, of a robbery. I mean, I mean, I've been robbed two or three times in my life. Uh, people in the house with guns. They try to be as quick as possible, mm. and they lock you away, and they ransack, and they leave. It's, yeah. it's a 20-minute thing. Yeah. There's six hours staying around. I, mean, I do understand your point about it being a hate crime. Unfortunately, there's various factors that come into play. The police evidence is, is a shocker mm. from personal experience. Yeah. My lived experience, if we're allowed to use my lived experience, <laughs> police are utterly shit at, at understanding crime, crime scenes. Um, and I mean, number two, can we really trust what people say on the stand half the time? Mm. Um, maybe they did go for, I mean, maybe just people are sadists. Maybe they did go to rob, but it's, oh, there's someone by themselves. Let's mm. have a bit of fun. Maybe mm. they, they used to do it to animals and now there's a human and it just progresses. Mm. It's difficult. We can't know what people mm. think in but, their own but mind. People, some people say they explain the torture by saying we must remember that farms are in remote areas, which makes it easier. As if to say, it's normal if you kill, if you attack someone who's far from other people to torture them for several well, hours. It's, so that's, it's blaming the victim. It's not a way to say, well, it's not, it's not worse than other crimes because they are being tortured because they live far away from other people. That's sort of, it doesn't make sense, the argument. Um, and we've had, we've had horrible, we've actually re- released a report on, uh, police investigations into farm killings. And we've had, one woman actually saw her, her husband murdered in front of her, uh, Benedette Hall. And the police came and they took all the evidence from the scene and they lost the evidence. And then there was an identification parade to which she went and she identified them. Uh, She said, those two people killed my husband. I saw them kill my husband. And then in court, the only evidence that they had was her saying so. And all the other uh, evidence that was on the scene was somehow lost in the process. So they didn't throw the case out. They found them not guilty. In other words, there's this double jeopardy principle. Yeah, so they can't charge him again. And she sees the people still in her community. The people who killed her husband is actually working on a neighboring farm at the moment. And so that's just one example, but I can give you 10 more yeah. just now. All right. So, so things like that lead you guys to set up, you know, the, the parallel state, you know, the, uh, the, yeah. so, so you see injustices like that. And as an organization, you've decided, for example, to, um, look at doing private legal Private legal prosecutions is that the correct terminology? Sorry, I'm, I'm the private prosecutions. I'm, yeah, I'm not the lawyer in the room. Uh, Neither am <laughs> I. I know nothing. Uh, but um, all right, so give us a bit of uh, insight into into that. What do you think you'll help achieve? Why we can't trust the state? I mean, you've just explained a little bit around mm. police evidence, for example. Yeah. Well, um, but for, but you're not necessarily going to fix the police evidence problem. Yeah. So also on the farm killings, we say that we must have a double strategy. Um, because some people say, some people would argue, well, we pay taxes, but we're not getting anything in return for our taxes. So the police must fix the problem. It's a fair argument currently. <laughs> and it is a fair argument. Assuming but, you pay taxes. But, but the, other side, <laughs> the other side of the argument is that we can't simply wait for government to do something and solve a problem that we can actually do something ourselves to an extent. So that's why we say we have a double strategy. The one side is we must have this campaign to put pressure on government to go speak at the United Nations and speak in other countries and have protest marches and all of this. And the other side is we must look after our own safety. So we are we have a network of more than 100 community safety networks uh, across the country where people – it's like neighborhood watches where people yeah. – Drive patrols, and we've actually seen in many of these cases where we can show the statistics how crime went down, farm murders stopped, or farm attacks stopped after these people started becoming active. So we really see that that is the case. So that's a very strong focus. And then another thing, I think what your, your question actually was was something that developed quite recently in Africa Forum was the idea of of private prosecutions. Hmm. But that once again is not a parallel process because. You can't just prosecute whoever you want, uh, privately prosecute. You can only prosecute people who are not deliberately not being prosecuted by government or by the prosecuting authority, despite the fact that there's a strong case against them. And you still have to use the public courts and all that. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. not a case of you have your own private Banana court and judge somewhere. Court but talking about neighborhood watches, I grew up on a farm, believe it or not, uh, in, in Walkable, of all places. Don't go there. It's not great. Uh, but, uh, but we <laughs> initiated um, – Patrols when I was about 12. There were a few farm attacks in the late 90s. Um, and we initiated, we had a, a radio, radio system and 
different farmers took the patrols on different evenings. Uh, overnight, well, not overnight. Within a month, no, nothing went wrong. Mm. And as a 12-year-old kid at the time, nothing is more fun than driving around in a car with a shotgun next to you. It's really cool. But nevertheless... We I mean, don't have 12-year-old kids driving with shotguns. <laughs> Not yet. It was um, the 90s. Anyway. Those, were the, those, were the good, yeah. those were the good days. And it was after apartheid, so don't call me a racist. Um, but I agree with you. I do think that people have this obsession with the state protecting them from everything. Mm. Well, not from everything. It's their duty to protect you from each other. But obviously they don't. Mm. It's compromised. So, I mean, why do people not like the fact that you are putting in place these mechanisms to self-organize mm. in essence. Well, uh, Ronald Reagan, that's probably my favorite quote. Ronald Reagan had this saying where he said the nine, the, the nine most terrifying words yeah. yes, in the English language are I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's just the case everywhere in the world. Yeah. There's this also another saying is that the hell on earth has always been created by people who promise to create heaven on earth. I mean, Mao Zedong was promising heaven on earth and Joseph Stalin was promising heaven on earth and Pol Pot and Robert Mugabe and Kim Jong-un and all those people. Um, but people... Who, yes, well, he's promising heaven on earth as well. So it's, it's people who, who promise heaven on earth and who try to do that through state mechanisms, that we're going to use the state to create heaven on earth. And every single time someone has tried that to such an extent, it has failed. So... Um, Yes, we do pay taxes, and it's not – a lot of people say, well, we must stop paying taxes, and that's for you to decide, but it's not really for an organization like AfriForum to have this mass tax boycott um, campaign because that would be irresponsible from our side because we would be encouraging people to commit crimes and people could be prosecuted for that. Hmm. So it's not something that can simply be organized like, like that. Um, but – I have a friend who once said that every every rand that doesn't go to the government is a rand that isn't wasted or spilled uh, in some way. And I think the state is a, is a massive problem. The gov government is not the solution. It is the problem. Um, yeah, and we're not specifically talking about the ANC itself. We're just talking about the concept of, of a government. Yeah, the ANC is just an example. But, right. The ANC is a very bad f form of government. But, yeah. but I, I think it's the truest form of government, if I'm honest. Because <laughs> you hate government. But, but, uh, <laughs> Except for Trump's government. No, I hate him too. But, but <laughs> even a, even a, even a non-corrupt government would, would result in lots of wastage and unnecessary yes. expenditure. And, and there's a direct link. I actually... Uh, just checked it, I think, yesterday. Um, if you compare, they call it the World, I think the World Happiness Index, uh, mm. that sort of rates the, yeah. all the countries according to which countries are the people that's the happiest. And usually it's Sweden or somewhere that's, that's, that's on the top. And we can talk about that and people say, no, s socialism works because look at Sweden and yeah. that's not true. But N Not a socialist country. Yeah, exactly. But I, I actually counted them yesterday. The top 10 countries in the world that are said to be the happiest countries. If you compare that to the Heritage Foundation's Economic Freedom in Index, all 10 of them are in the top 25 countries in the world with the most economic freedom. And economic freedom is not what the EFF says. Economic freedom means limited government, freedom to make choices, freedom to start your own business. Mm, not taking so, all your money to tax. Yeah, exactly. So there's a direct link. You can see that just in, all the, in these ratings if you compare different polls with each other that – Countries where the more government intervenes, the less, the more poor people are and the less happy people are. The less government, the more government gets out of the way, the happier people are, the more wealthy people are. That's just how it works. So uh, here's a, a bit of a, a question, a boomerang question. Why is, I mean, I'm not going to call you right wing. We are not right wing. We are considered right wing mm. by idiots. But nevertheless, <laughs> let's use the idiots example of right wing. Why are we, on your why are we losing that battle? In terms of in the in the in the public space. Well, that's the the irony. It seems as if um, in the world, people. If you look at world politics, it seems as if people are there's a backlash to liberalism and socialism in many countries where you find that these so-called right-wing extremist populist populist leaders are getting more and more support. In South Africa, it's the other way around, um, in the sense that. Uh, the debate really is about far left and extreme left in South Africa. Exactly. Um, so if you're not part of that debate, you sort of are irrelevant. And, and to be honest, sorry, just interject. But I think most people aren't left in yeah, the country. I would agree, yes. But 
That depends. I, I'm, I'm not sure on that. I think uh, you'd have to split that into socially and economically. Yeah, that's exactly what mm. I wanted to say. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, right. So, so go for <laughs> it. <laughs> Thanks, Wit. No, it, it depends on your view on, on, on uh, or let's say conservative and liberal. I know it's not necessarily the same as right and left, but um, there's a difference between between being socially conservative and being you know, economically conservative or liberal. And also – Liberal has so many. Everyone yeah, has li- their own of what it means to be liberal. But we'll take it in the American sense because yeah. that's what it is. Yes, now. yeah, that's what liberal means nowadays. Um, so I think the point is that, yeah, going to the question about why, why is the debate to such an extent, and it sort of comes back to the point about democracy and why democracy in a poor country is unfortunately rigged to fail. Now, I'm not opposed to democracy, but the fact that the majority of people in this country or not the majority, a big amount of people, 45 actually, 45.5% of people in this country, or not of people, of households in this country, get government grants. And if you get government grants, it's great. So if you get a job and you start working, you're going to lose the money that you get for free. So it's an incentive not to work. So people would rather vote if there's this option of voting for money as opposed to working for money, you would rather vote for money. And but, that's the problem, and that's what we have in South Africa. But it makes sense to those people, right? I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't blame I, I, them. I'm not a huge fan of, of welfare, but I think it's, I think unfortunately, due to circumstances, it's very necessary in this country because mm. A, it prevents the National Democratic Revolution, firstly. It you prevents it. It prevents Why it. Why do you say so? Well, because people just have the minimum standards to live well. Oh, oh I and, see. And if they, I mean, that's why Sasa, the Sasa debacle was interesting. I sort of wanted them not to pay out mm. because I knew they would be suffering. But, man, if you can just imagine groups of people around the union buildings just burning. Yeah, but, but you know what's going to happen then? That's really cool. The, what's going to happen then is that's going to be what it's about. People are going to riot against government and then Julius Malema or – Jacob Zuma or someone is going to come and say, well, no, the problem is actually those white people over there who stole everything from you. Yeah. And then the riots are going to be directed towards minority communities. Or, or he might not direct it to white or black. He might go, well, look at all these rioters. This is why we can't have nice things. And therefore, I am now your president. We have a state of emergency. And, and until further notice, land. until further notice, you know, we'll we'll okay. be we'll run this okay, conspiracy theorist. I just wanted to see the union buildings burn down. Jesus, that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> they're not going to burn down. But they're very pretty, actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, welfare is unfortunately necessary. It goes against my principles completely because I think private charity should do that. Churches should do that. Yes, uh, that people I agree like with. Every uh, forum yeah. perhaps should do that. I agree um, with the part on. I think welfare is necessary or is is good if it's not paid. For by the government. Right. It must be dealt with by civil society. Indeed. And what you see, when the state does take over welfare, charity just dries up. Donations mm. to charity just dries up because, well, people have no more money because it's all going to mm. to the federal state. Um, I had a, another question, but I forgot. <laughs> well, it's bloody useless. Well, on that point, I think Thomas Sowell said it best. And people get angry at Thomas Sowell and they call him a racist and then they realize he's actually black. I've got a story about that. But he, he, he said that... Uh, the the big problem with with welfare is it's it's incentivizing people not to work. I mean that's essentially what it is. So if you get a job, that's what I said earlier. If if you get a job, we're, we're going to stop giving you free stuff. So don't get a job. If you don't have a job, we're going to give you free stuff. But the problem is people like Africa Check, who mm. I don't know who checks them. So it's a bit of a strange name. Uh, they say people use their welfare benefits to actually improve their living conditions. Well, I haven't seen the Africa Czech report, but okay. the point is that that welfare has gone up dramatically. Uh, the amount of people who are on welfare oh, yeah. is increasing every year. Uh, no. I think it's 128 billion rand per year at the moment, and the estimates are that in two years it's going to be 180 billion rand a year. Um, and like I said, it's now I think it's 17 million people, which is 45 percent of households in this country and it used to be around 20 percent or something so look the, the other point is is even if people wanted some grants aren't huge uh, they're not a lot of money mm. um and so even if if people wanted a job and they don't actually want a grant they prefer to work mm. is that we have an environment an economical environment which makes it very difficult to find work to create mm. uh, employment uh, to be involved in the economy so there really is no other choice for, for some people. Yes. I, I think maybe the, the a discussion about grants in itself might be slightly misdirected uh, because it's not the biggest problem. Grants can be yeah. – it can work. It can. I think the biggest problem are probably 
I would say a combination of two things is education and economic policy where we have this horrible education system um, especially black education to call to use that term uh, is much worse than as I said earlier than, than we have in white schools and so-called white schools um, so we have this horrible education system and we have all these government regulations there was actually a report that came out last week uh, about a poll that was done among African businesses, as they call it, across the whole different African countries, especially South Africa, Nigeria, and Kenya. And um, 80% of them said that BEE makes it difficult for them to do business in South Africa and that BEE and government regulation and macroeconomic policy prevents them from making money. So, And that's a poll that was done among black people. Yeah, so, but they're the wrong type of black, though. We want proper blacks for BE, man. <laughs> not Come clever on, man. blacks. We, not, not clever blacks. We don't like clever blacks for yeah. our BE policy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not, we only want those who are politically well, connected. You, you, you've hinted, and we've hinted as we've gone through, uh, we, we don't have too much time left, but uh, in terms of the ANC, in terms of the government, and in terms of everything that's kind of going on mm. now, um, you tweeted a couple of days ago that um, the rallying call of the ANC was always a mandla. Yeah, um, power. Which means power, not freedom. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, that's quite telling because, in essence, it would seem now that that's all they're really interested in. Mm. They don't really care about the freedom of their people or the welfare of their people or the liberty of their people. Mm. Um, and when I say their people, the, their voters and mm. certainly not the greatest citizenry at large. I, mm. I don't, you know, I very much buy into that. The, the, the race stuff Ramon was referring to, mm. that's, very created. Um, we know that there's some Bell Pottinger stuff going on as well. Mm. So um, I, I, I just think the average South African isn't cared about at all by our current government. They couldn't give a shit. Mm. Um, black, white, rich, poor, um, live in Gauteng, live in Limpopo. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, so what do you, I'm asking you, you don't need to tell me where the organization stands, but what do you think is likely to play out um, and, and where do you think we're heading? Well, uh, you mean where is South Africa heading? Yeah. I think... Um, I'm going probably, home after this. There <laughs> will probably be booms and busts. So I think, let's say if Cyril Ramaphosa becomes president, there will be a boom. And then he will screw up and people will be... Well, I mean, people were very excited when Jacob Zuma became president because they thought, he, ah, this is a people's man and he's going to listen to everyone. And then Cyril Ramaphosa is going to disappoint people because he's going to execute ANC policy and then people are going to be disappointed if he becomes the president. Um, if Lamini Zuma becomes the president, then Zuma will still be... Is, that's like a Vladimir Putin type but, of move. Although people will probably still be excited because they'll still be like... Because I still... This is the theory I've tweeted out repeatedly over the last few days is come 2019, the story that's going to be sold by the ANC is uh, Jacob's not there anymore. Um, we're sorry we upset mm. you in 20, 2009 till 2018. We're really sorry we pissed you off. But look, he's gone mm. and we're back. And it's the ANC. It's not Jacob Zuma. Don't mm. punish him, us for one mm. man. And then... That's how they're mm. going to sell the vote. So I think people will still be excited yeah. if she becomes the president. Yes. Um, and then she'll cock it up. Yeah. And I think maybe one day the ANC would have – they would have dropped so much in support that the DA would become – might become the government and we would have Musi Maimani and they would become government. Or, become, or even worse, Lindiwe Mazibuko. <laughs> She's coming back, I promise you. Yeah, she probably might come back. Once Auntie Helen's but cast The, the point yeah. that I want to make is I think – and this is very. Uh, I think this is not a. This is not a safe space. So maybe I can say this on your your show. But say the word fuck. Very. <laughs> we we have members who are slightly older and more conservative. So I'm not going to swear. But um, no. We apologise for the swearing. <laughs> um, no, I think the reality is, and we we see that really among our members and minority communities, not only white people or not only Afrikaners, that people are talking much more now about things such as self-determination and some form of federalism and, uh, you know, freedom or secession and all these type of things. People are talking more about these type of mm. things. I was actually very funny. I was on a radio, uh, a radio debate with Mbuyeseni and Tlozi about a year ago. It was when they said that they want to take the stem out of Nkosi Sikilele. And for about 30 minutes, I mean, there's no way that we could re reach an agreement on anything. So I said, you know what? 
we're not going to agree. And I sort of sarcastically said, well, let's just chop up the country and we give everyone a piece. And then actually the, the presenter stopped us. She said, we're not going to even discuss this idea. Yeah. This idea is not something to be discussed on, on our program. What are we so obsessed with unity? Why, why is, you know, this, we got sold the, I almost wonder if Bell Pottinger designed the Rainbow Nation yeah. in 1994. Perhaps they were paid for that too. Um, what is the obsession with with this unity? If, if 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 South Africa doesn't work as a country on its own, maybe it does need to break up. I mean, if it doesn't make logical sense, I would argue it probably doesn't because mm. of all the systems and how they're set up. Mm. But but if if that's what needs to happen, is it the end of the world? Mm. Why are people so terrified of that? I I honestly don't know. Um, well, uh, come on, it makes sense because all the all the all the ones that, that actually you know contribute and pay taxes will secede. <laughs> yeah, it's very simple. No, but, but come on, I'm I'm talking about those who pay taxes. Or you know, people have have this proudly South African um, vibe, and everyone's More. waving the flag and More all of this. And I think that's because it might be because I don't necessarily share that view, so I'm speculating. But but. It might be because people think about the new South Africa and they think about the flag and they then think about Nelson Mandela and Franz Rapino and that picture. I disagree with you. I just think they don't think at all. So when you have a dangerous idea like secession, which I've been a big fan of forever, mm. people look at you like, but why? They say, well, think about it. Yeah, don't talk about these extremist things. Yeah. It's not supposed to be an extremist thing. Mm. It's a legal Measure it's some. It's happened in Africa recently. It happened in Sudan. It happened in yeah. Kosovo. It's happening in all over the world, um, and it's happening all the time. If you look at the world map as it is today, and you compare it to ten years ago and ten years before that, it really is happening all the time. I mean, so we, it's not a swear word or something. But in South Africa, it is. I mean, that's something. As I said, mm. when I mentioned it, this is actually the second time that I've mentioned this on a radio program. And the last time. This is a podcast, not a radio. Yeah. <laughs> Please. So <laughs> my apologies. Just to to summarize that though, ideology is the problem. So you know, ANC runs the show. It doesn't really matter who's in charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps the amount of stuff that gets softened off gets better if Jay Z's gone. But uh, ideology really is 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 the issue there. The, the mm-hmm. ideology of the ANC is mm-hmm. rooted on very the far left essentially. Yeah. Um, and potentially, I mean, as you allude to with the DA, the DA is moving towards the left, so that could be a problem. You can change the colours of the party running the show, but it could just yeah. be the same well, issue. The, the ANC is trying to out EFF the EFF, and the DA is trying to out ANC the ANC. Oh, now someone must try to out DA the DA. I don't know, if maybe in Qatar or the Freedom Front. But, or someone, but, I don't but know. why do you assume uh, you know things will change within within the paradigm as it exists? Maybe there'll be a, a, a third or, or having many parties. Maybe there'll be that well, that one which comes out of nowhere, which is like hardcore. I don't know, capitalist, and doesn't give a shit about race, and says, we're not rainbow nations, we want to make you rich, so fuck it, let's just do it. And maybe they will win the next Yeah, but they would have to 10, compete against years. people who says, vote for us and we'll give you free stuff. But, but uh, I mean, if you, I can't remember the exact number, but if you Google the average age of constitutions, there's actually a study that was done about how long does a constitution last. And I think uh, across the world, Constitutions on average last for 19 years and then they change. The system changes. Right. And in Africa, it's less. It's like 10 years or 12 years. or It's around there. Hmm. So South Africa has sort of outlived the average age and it might last. But the point is, I mean, we're all fairly young. Um, so I'm sure that in our lifetime, there will be some sort of a constitutional change. Historically, that's just bound to happen in South Africa. So the point is, I don't know if that means that the country is going to break into pieces or if that means that we're going to move towards a more federalist state or if that means we're going to become this communist nation. But that's sort of one of the things that AfriForum is built on is to say that that's why we have this double strategy. Uh, the ANC always talks about the balance of forces. So we're trying to to create this organization where we have enough members and enough support to at least have a Prominent say in, in yeah have a seat at the table when things yeah have yeah. a seat at the table yeah exactly yeah and I, and I mean as I said to Shaka Sisulu the the moron last year if you want a race war the Afrikaners are going to beat your asses <laughs> if you want a what if you want a race war oh. I don't think the Afrikaners will win to be it honest it depends I've I've actually uh, I've always said that's why I I think land hasn't been expropriated <laughs> I, I mean. It always seemed to me that that in Zimbabwe, you know, you had these sort of polite Englishmen. Oh, yeah, the um, right and I don't mean to that Afrikaans people aren't polite. In fact, they're amongst the most polite people I know. But um, you know, 
Robert Mugabe turned around and went, well, your land's not your land anymore. Cheers, you've got 24 hours. Mm. And I just, I, you know, of some of the people that, that I've been friendly with and come across, I just think that if they were told that, they would be like, okay, here's like my R4 mm. and come get my land. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I just, so I agree with you on that. I think. Well, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm an honorary Afrikaner. I grew up on a farm uh, with Afrikaans <laughs> people next to next to me. Everyone has a gun. I mean, I'm, I'm not promoting mm. race wars. I understand what you're saying. But if someone wanted one, mm. I mean, Afrikaans will kick ass because because you are <laughs> you are far more united than mm. other other groups against mm. you. Well, Afrikaners. I don't want to go into the war discussion too much, but Afrikaners. It's sort of culturally. Afri- we we had this commando system, and most yeah. Afrikaners were. Either directly or indirectly involved. Either they were on the border war or they were involved with this commando system in their local towns and, and so forth. But we are very firmly against these war talks. We often get people and they come to us and say, you know what, maybe this is going to be a war and we start preparing. But, but war, talking about war is essentially saying, I'm going to give someone else permission to shoot at my wife and children. Yes. Yes. So, so that's really something that shouldn't be on the all radar. Right. Fair enough. Not, not with regards to violence, but just as a, you know, if you're an individual, um, which is great, we, we're big on individualism, but mm. you, as a community, the Afrikaans community really sticks together. So yes. it's almost like there's something bigger to fight for mm. um, as the community together. There's a, yeah, there's like um, a joint and, and I think that I people... think that that's been a, a, a very um, good attribute um, mm. of, of that community. Yes, and Afrikaners now feel that they are under threat. And as a result thereof, they they cling much more to their identity. Yeah. So in 1990 or 1994, people, Afrikaners would refer to themselves as Afrikaans-speaking people. Now mm. they refer to themselves as Afrikaners, right. um, which is a slightly more harder, more harsh term. Uh, there's nothing wrong with, with the word Afrikaner. I mean, I mm. use it all the time. But people, Afrikaners are now much less politically correct than they yeah. were 10 or 20 years ago. And... I mean, that's just a human thing. If you feel that your identity is under threat, you start clinging to that identity more but, and but, more. But I think that's a positive anyway. I mean, people have to understand that mm. the country is made up of various uh, cultural and ethnic groups. I mean, I mean, we don't we don't mind when the Zulu king says something good about being Zulu, right? Yeah. But when it's not Rikana, it's uh, there's a it's yeah, a, exactly. it's a nightmare. That's a good point. Uh, but I think I think yeah, more. I mean, the only the worst people to group is the English speaking whiteies. And I'm not one. I'm French, so I'm out of this. But they, they are terrible at doing anything together. They will complain about the minor details. Because well, they're like not this, a community, though. Like this, yeah, they're not. Like this march that apparently everyone's going on to protest against Zuma. First of all, it's a waste of time. But secondly, people are, are worried about where to go and should white people actually join in. And mm. I mean, get the fuck out of here. I mean, come on. You know what I mean? It's, it's really <laughs> makes me... Yeah, no. I, I anyway, see. Anyway, the Afrikaners will win, <laughs> and I'll be on your side if you need. If you need, but right. I'm, I'm not promoting war. Please. Well, I, I actually, sorry, I just I'm, recently I was in in South Tyrol, this province in the north of Italy, and it's a minority community, and they get back ninety percent of their taxes. They had this whole minority rights struggle, and it's a beautiful place. It looks like Switzerland. They're bordering on Switzerland, and I said to the one guy there that. Maybe I was just joke, making a joke, and I said to him, you know what, the Afrikaners are going to declare war on South Tyrol, and we're going to come in with our jets, and we're going to kick you all out, and we're going to make this our country. And he said, no, you don't need to do that. You can just come here and, and live with us. They, they said they would want Afrikaners <laughs> to, to live among them. Oh, really? So, yeah. But, yeah, I don't think, I don't think war talks is, is the way yeah, to go. Yeah, but, I mean, people must understand, Afrikaners are South African. I mean, for God's sake, you're not like these colonializers. I mean, I arrived here when I was five. I'm an immigrant. But you're not like some colonializers, whatever. You are South African. You've got nowhere else to go. Mm. You've got one passport, and you want to make this country a better place, and like most other people. And yeah. you're not going to let these stupid ideologues get in the way. I think it's very simple. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you want me as a spokesman for every forum? <laughs> I'm very, very reasonable. We'll sign you up on anything except some anything that has to do with safety and security. So. Yeah, you can, you can hear yeah, he's going to, he's going to get violent with you his can shotgun. Be economic spokesperson. That's right, fine. Right. And thank you for for coming on and uh, yeah, being yeah, candid. And thank what, you. It's what is really nice about the so-called? I'm just going to call us right wing for now. What is nice? We send you one tweet and you say yes, of course, I'll gladly join in your podcast. How long have we tried with these fucking lefties? <laughs> 
to get them on. You are cross today, eh? I'm, I'm furious today <laughs> with lefties in general. But they want transport money. Then they want to, uh, anyway, they want to take the turf of the show. We just send one tweet. Yeah. Well, and he says yes I'll join well, you Well it's because I've been following you And I've been waiting for you to call me To come on oh, the right. show People so. with defensible ideas Are, are more interested in, uh, in presenting those ideas Yeah in I would agree I would agree And uh, on that note Should we call it On that note Yes thank you once again Thanks so much Thanks for joining us Thank you um, You can find us on Facebook uh, Both our page and our group uh, The group's quite interesting Renegade Report group uh, We have good discussions on there And uh, interesting debate and uh, obviously, you can find Ernst on uh, Twitter. Do you want me to just tell me your, uh, I think? At Ernst Roots. There we go. <laughs> or Ernst uh, Roots. Yeah, and, you, and a nice new feature of Twitter. It translates his tweets from Dutch to English. Oh, I actually that. discovered from, that from yesterday Dutch for the first time. <laughs> it, yeah, it says translate from, <laughs> from Dutch. Dutch. Yeah. It's very confused. Confused Twitter. So you can find us on Confused Twitter as well, uh, at Renegade underscore report. Uh, and as always, if you're listening on iTunes, please give us a rating. It does help to bump the show up a little bit so other people will also be introduced to it. We are always trying to expand the audience so that people open their minds and are exposed to some of these ideas. And what Ramon wanted oh, yes. to say. And, and give us money, please. We really appreciate it. <laughs> Okay, uh, and thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Cliffcentral.com